Rain uh, can mean a lot of things. Okay. Great uh, metaphor. That's Country right. music knows it's a great metaphor. It's right. Um, Songs about rain. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I'm your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, the man our high school voted most likely to strangle a circus clown, my brother Mike. Uh, just to be fair, I was voted most likely to strang- strangle several things, including like, you know, a puppy dog, uh, a human uh, mime guy. So not just clowns. It's not just clowns. Yeah. I'll strangle <laughs> damn near anything. They're trying to get you on some bullshit there. That's right. Like to me. She goes uh, bail bonds. They yeah, got me they... on some bullshit. Uh, well, folks, we've made it. We have made it to the halfway marker of the season. It's been a slog. It has been a couple months. That's a good word for this. A slog, a trudge. Slog. It a has slog. been a slog. Yeah. Like, like running through mud, but we have made it to the all-star. With your league. pants down. It's not exactly halfway. <laughs> exactly halfway came about a week ago, but it's close. And it lets us know that we're on the downslope of this sad but still beautiful season of Royals baseball. I'm happy to get baseball of any kind yeah. uh, because I remember what it was like to not have any during the pandemic, but man, it has been a slog at times. On today's episode, we'll review a fairly typical week of Royals baseball. The team lost a lot. Jorge Soler struck out a lot. The huge. In our spotlight segment, we'll do a deep dive on Frank Mazzucato, who the Royals selected with their first round choice in the draft about 30 minutes ago, 40 minutes ago now at this point. So this is fresh off the... Uh, off the hot take wire, we'll talk a little bit about Frank Mazzucato. If you haven't heard of him, don't worry. Neither has anyone else. Yeah, no idea. Yeah, for all I know, he's one of Mike's students or some guy we played against at St. Pius. Who or knows? A clown that I might strangle in the future. We don't know. Who knows? We don't know. Nobody knows. All right, let's talk about some baseball. Very little roster news to talk about this week. Oddly, the Royals didn't have 100 injured guys. They didn't send Edward Olivares up and down three or four times this week, which is their typical week, I feel like. But they did have one roster thing happen, and that was about it. It was a small thing. Cam Gallagher went out on a rehab assignment. But other than that, the team has been pretty consistent this week. Consistently bad, yes, but, you know, they're not shuffling players like they normally do. This week they went 1-5, and which brings their overall record to 36-53. and The game today was rained out, or they may have gone 1-6 and this week. They lost two of three to the Reds at home to start the week. Then they lost the first three games of a four-game set to the Indians in Cleveland. They may have been swept, but the last game was postponed. They they, they got saved by the weather in some some way today. And oddly, uh, this was going to be Salvador Perez's like one day off. They're like, hey, you're going to the All-Star game. Go ahead and leave early. Uh, they were going to ha- give him the day off, but it got rained out anyway. So he'll end up playing Perfect. that game probably in September. Perfect. He will now play all 162 <laughs> games, exactly. all of them, because why wouldn't you play Salvador Perez in September of a season when you are not in any competition whatsoever? So, yeah, it'll be great to see that. We, we got walked off twice this week. I think both times by the Indians. The Indians. Both yeah. Back to back nights. Yeah. We got walked off twice by the Indians this week, and then we just got pounded by them in the third game. Mike and I went to a uh, Stewie's local sports bar here in Lee Summit to watch that game, or part of it anyway. And boy, every time the Royals scored a couple, the Indians came out and scored five or six more. 14 to six in that one. In what I hope is Cal Eldred's swan song, I don't know that it's going to be, but I hope that that 14 to six drubbing that Every pitcher from bullpen to starter, every pitcher in that game gave up at least a run. Mike Miner gave up like six runs. The bullpen gave up eight runs. 
it was a just bloodbath. And I hope that that's the sort of thing we remember as Cal Eldred has walked with a big box right outside the stadium, you know, like carrying his shit. Yeah, right. Probably get promoted. (laughs) (laughs) He's probably one who made that Frank Mazzucato pick. (laughs) (laughs) I saw this guy. He was some video from Connecticut. It was sent to me by my niece. It's going to be fantastic. (laughs) Um, No, uh, this team needs five days off as much as I've ever seen a team that needed need five days off. I'm hoping for some changes over this all-star break. I'm not expecting them because this is the Royals. They don't change. They're kind of very consistent, if nothing else. Yeah, um, not just with the Cal Eldred thing, but I'm hoping for some improvement when it comes to the health of uh, Alberto Mondesi. He, they said he's taking, he's fielding ground balls and things like that. You won't really know if he's close until he's swinging. So we probably still have some time, but you know, months. We still have months. Oh, I hope it's not months. God, this is I what you did last months. time too. I know exactly what you did last time. This oh, I team, think it'll just be next week. I'm sure I, next I don't week. Think, I'm not here. saying it'll be next week. I'm saying I want to see some improvement by the end of the All Star break. Hey, now he's fielding ground balls and throwing. Okay, you that's fool. something. Okay, want to see that happening? Fool. And then uh, the the worst, the, the bad thing about this is the schedule is actually going to get worse. It gets harder after the break for us. And so uh, it may not get much better. That's the sad part. Uh, But I'm looking forward to September the most because we can start to see guys like Olivares, like Kyle Isbell back in the majors. Uh, We may see Carlos Hernandez get starts. We may see Jackson Coar come back up and get starts. I want to see the younger guys in there. And may uh, see Nick Prado and Bobby Wood Jr. Oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe I would think at this point you at least get him for a September call up, at least Prado. Yeah. Uh, maybe not Bobby Witt right away, but at least Prado you're going to get, I think. So, yeah. Maybe the most exciting news from this week was seeing Nick Prado and Bobby Witt Jr. play in the Futures game today. Bobby Witt Jr. led the game off with a scorching line drive to left field, 113 miles per hour off the bat. It just happened to go right to the left fielder. He also hit a line, a scorching line drive over 100 miles an hour to the right fielder in a second at bat. He looked really, really good up there at the plate, doing just really uh, good competitive at bats against top level pitching prospects. So he looked like he's just he continued what he's been doing down in Northwest Arkansas over the last month or so. And Nick Prado played well, too. I I only saw his first at bat, but he drew a walk, was really patient at bat. Good job uh, by him. So hopefully uh, those two guys end up I'd be really shocked if they don't get bumped to triple A sometime in the next two, three weeks because yeah. there's just nothing really left for them to do. Melinda is not far behind them. In fact, maybe in front of them, because he is on fire lately. Yeah, so, leading, last uh, I'd heard, leading all of minor league, uh, all in double A in home runs. Yeah, and those so three was... are sort of locked in a race to see who's going to win the, uh, what are they calling it now? Southern League? I forget what they're calling double A mid, anymore. The Midwest I, League is... I forget everything. <laughs> um, but it's double A. It's the Texas League in my mind. Uh, whoever they're like locked in a, in a three-way battle for the home run lead there. So that's great to see a lot of talent in that double uh, a team. The Royals had a couple strong performances this week, not a ton, uh, but we did find a couple. I'm going to talk about Brad Keller because, Hey, I was very excited by his start uh, against Cleveland. They're a bad lineup, of course, but he looked really good. He looked, and I'm t- talking the eye test here, like a different pitcher. He looked like he was the pitcher we all remember him being. He went seven and two thirds, one earned run, four hits, did have too many walks. He had four walks, but he also struck out nine. His slider looked deadly in that start, which was great. He got a lot of swing and misses on it. But the most important thing, his fastball 
stayed in the lower third way more frequently. And that's what's really going to help him out. Mike was pointing that out to me, but it was like, I, I couldn't see a fastball in the lower third for a lot of his starts this season. He starts dotting it there and he starts having more success. Not a coincidence. The other thing that they mentioned in the broadcast, uh, that slider looked like it had a lot more uh, depth to it and not as much slide to it. Uh, and I don't know if that's a, a, a on-purpose change that he made. He was throwing it pretty hard, so you'd think it's probably, hey, and it looked like a slider grip and all that stuff. But um, it had a little more downward action to it to me, and I think that threw guys off, and he was throwing it pretty damn hard. So if you're locating your slider and you're locating your fastball and you're Brad Keller – Good things are going to happen. You don't expect him to strike strike out nine guys, though. That's probably not sustainable. But um, if he can continue to look that good, we'll take it. Well, I'll we're going to need. I'll take, we're going to need that moving forward. Like if we're going to be good next is, year or the year after, we got to have it. In his best starts, I think nine strikeouts isn't unexpected. When he's really got his stuff going, nine strikeouts make sense to me for him. It's the times when he's got his average stuff and his below average stuff that he's got to find ways to get outs with sinkers in the lower third contact balls in play on the ground. They're not all going to be perfect starts, but the problem with him is he had this perfect start, but he's had some hellacious starts, some really, really bad starts. Some I'm not even competitive starts. And I don't think that to me, the slider looks basically the same. Maybe he is throwing a little bit harder. He's definitely locating it better. He didn't this start. And below that's the, the big Just difference. below the zone. He was able to locate Instead of it bouncing it 50 feet up there, he's, you know, it's it's just, it starts in the bottom half and then breaks it out of it, right? So think about it being a hitter up at the plate. It's really hard to hit a baseball because you have very limited amount of time to decide whether to swing or not. Well, if two pitches come in on the same plane, one looks like it's, it looks like it's coming directly for the bottom of the strike zone. One, he's been locating the fastball down there. Your brain is going to say, that's another low fastball. I need to swing at it. And it's going to be, but if you're bouncing them 50 feet up there, they're not fooled by your slider. So your location has to be good. You have to make those pitches come from the same window. And then you can sort of get the kind of deception you're looking for. I went with a Carlos Santana who also had a big week this week. He's had several big weeks for the Royals, uh, he cooled off a little bit there, but the offense that they got this week was largely provided by him, or in some cases, very much provided by him. He was five for 18. He had a double and two home runs. And like Carlos Santana does, he had six walks uh, to just five strikeouts. So he had an OPS over one. Um, he has been just an extremely valuable sign for the Royals this uh, past offseason. And I could see an instance where if you have Carlos Santana as your DH, that could be a very valuable place to send him, by the way. Somebody who's looking for a DH. He's not a phenomenal first baseman. He's okay. Um, but him as a DH kind of situation kind of reminds me of that Kendris Morales uh, stuff that they had going on back in the day. So I know he's probably not a guy you can hang on to. You got to get rid of him. But I, uh, I'm, I'm a Carlos Santana believer now, which I wasn't at the beginning of the season. Yeah, without him, who knows where this team is. And another consistently good week from him. So that's great. Those walks are sort of – those don't slump typically. And so it's great to see him continuing to do well. I'm going to talk a little bit about a struggling guy who I've sort of been excited about because I think he has a ton of trade value for the Royals, just like Santana. But it's starting to slip if he keeps giving up runs, and that's Mike Miner. 
Mike Miner had a real rough week this week. He had one start that was kind of eh, kind of okay. I think he went six, gave up four runs, wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. Then he had a terrible start. He had two starts this week. He went 10 innings total, gave up 10 earned runs, two home runs, four walks, 12 hits, and eight strikeouts. That's not good. We want him raising his value right now as the trade deadline nears and making himself available to other teams. I don't think the Royals would trade him anyway because they want him as an innings eater and they think they need him as an innings eater. But I would, I would be trading him. I'd be open to trading him because other teams actually are probably still going to want that. Even with the rough week, even with the fact that he has like one of the worst ERAs in baseball, I think a lot of teams will look at him and say, that's actually more on the Royals than it is on Mike Miner because a lot of those runs and stuff come from Mike Matheny leaving him in too long, come from, you know, uh, seemingly him not having a plan, like a, a pitching coach who's going to sort of create a plan for him that makes a lot of sense, you know? Um, and so I think teams are going to look at him and say, he's going to be an innings eater for, for us. We'll have him another year. He's going to be valuable and they'd still be open to trying to trade him or trade for him. I just don't think the Royals are going to do that, but it was, it was not a great week for Mike Miner or his trade value. Yeah. And I think, before the season started, one of the reasons the Royals were able to get him is because they were one of the few teams who were willing to let him start. There were other teams that were interested in him at, in him in the bullpen. And so maybe the Royals are selling him to other teams as somebody who can be a starter for you or maybe come out of the bullpen for you can be both. If he's got that versatility, that adds value. Uh, he's been strongest when he's mixing pitches really well and locating them really well. And that second start he was not in the later innings, especially he was not locating pitches at all and just giving up huge hits. So uh, another guy who's had a little bit of trouble locating, especially his slider, Scott Barlow has been a little disappointing this week. Uh, two innings pitched for him, which is a really light week for him. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they gave him yeah. some time off this week. And that's the thing. Like this is largely probably a manifestation of their overuse of Scott Barlow. Uh, two innings pitch, four hits. He gave up five earned runs, two walks, uh, one strikeout. I think teams are keying in on his slider and knowing that at one point in that at bat, he's going to make a mistake with a slider and they are hammering it every single time. So Barlow probably needs to, you know, they probably need to pump the brakes a little bit on him. Uh, he Give him a better idea. Let him throw that fastball. Tell him how good his fastball is because he's got a good fastball and, and get him to be more effective or locate it better because – He's struggling right now. Our whole bullpen is struggling right now, but uh, he's a guy that you usually lean on so heavy. Maybe we shouldn't be leaning so much. <laughs> yeah, and maybe Barlow. there's a function of he's pitched so much. His fastball just doesn't have quite as much life on it anymore because mm -hmm. of how much he's been used. So he's hesitant to go to it because he doesn't, he knows it doesn't got, have the gas that it usually does. And teams may know that too. I mean, he's been used so much that, you know, it's, it wouldn't be surprising if, you know, his velocity's down a little bit if there's just not as much life on it. And, uh, but yeah, it was a rough week for him. I hope the break does, does wonders for him and for the bullpen. I hope it gives them all a reset because boy, do they desperately need it. Yeah. Uh, it has been really disappointing for guys like Brent's and Zimmer as well. And definitely Holland who you and I were a little, uh, not so sure about Holland coming into the season anyway, but th those guys, I mean, Holland's an automatic home run when he comes in pretty much. So yeah. What do you got for a theme for this week? For my theme this week, I started thinking about sort of the approach or disposition that Dayton Moore is going to take to the next few weeks. And my thinking was 
everything must go. That's my theme for the week, right? Like, Sunday, 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 everything must go. It's wacky inflatable arm floating tube man. It, it makes <laughs> no sense to me if you're dating more not to hear every offer for every potential guy, because those people, those of you who thought that this was the 2013 Royals heading into the season were way off base. And we talked, talked about that early in the season, how like this looks nothing like the 2013 Royals because so many of these players aren't going to be here for the next window. They're, they're, they're old or their contracts are coming up. And as a result, we need to be thinking about this as we need drastic action to try and make 2023 the opening of our window. When Bobby Witt Jr. has been a, in the league a year and is ready to take off, we want to have guys ready to go. Those pitchers ready to go. We need a lineup ready to go. But the thing is, by then, Carlos Santana will be 37. Whit Merrifield will be 34, maybe, yes, 34. And so many other guys will just be gone. Benintendi will be gone, you know? So we need to be thinking trade, trade, trade as many guys as you can to set yourself up for 2023. The guys who have the most value, Santana, Minor, the guys who have multiple years, be looking to be open to it, be open to trading Benintendi because one year of him and another additional year of Santana, Benintendi, Mike Minor, is looking like right now is not going to mean Jack squat in 2022. So go ahead and get what you can for them now, because those guys are not a part of the next window. Yeah. And you and I talked about this the other day, when you do that, you have to have a plan for the guys you're getting back in return. It can't just be, Hey, we got a lottery ticket. Well, does that kid actually, does his skill set or what you hope will become his skill set fit the type of team you're building? Or did you just try and get a good guy? You know, I realize that you want to amass as much talent as you can, but don't go out there and get a guy who can't play outfield defense when you want to stress being a, de- a good defensive team. Uh, that that really frustrates me. That kind of leads into my theme for the week. Look to the future. OK, moving forward in this, we've got the draft starting today. Uh, I'll be interested to see who they take now that they've underslotted big time with this first pick, which we'll get into more later. But September is really what I'm looking at. What do we got left in September that we can say, okay, those are pieces we're identifying to be part of the next good teams that we can put together. And also that has to be done. Like I said, when you're trading for guys, if you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe rate and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing rating and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and a good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. We tweet during most games, so you can get all this fresh insight for free by simply following us. With the seventh overall pick in the 2021 MLB draft, the Kansas City Royals select Frank Mazzucato. Huh? Who's that? Exactly. Who is Frank Mazzucato? Is he my butcher? He might He might be. <laughs> I, I, he's your butcher's cousin at the very least. Um no, Frank Mazzucato is an 18-year-old left-handed pitcher from Connecticut. Very few people had him. Well, okay, let's be frank. Nobody had him going this high. Nobody had him ranked this high. Apparently, he was a fast riser. A fast riser is somebody who, in the later stages of the draft evaluation process, starts shooting up people's boards. Oftentimes, fast risers are prep kids, that meaning they're from high school. Oftentimes, they're in cold-weather cities because they don't get to start playing until later. And so the scouts don't see them until later. And then they shoot up boards. Frank Mazzucato from Connecticut, cold weather state, high school lefty. 
you know, all the things that typically make up a fast riser. The word is he's got a great curveball and top end spin rates. He's had tremendous results in high school through four consecutive no hitters. An interesting pit player. Mike, what do you think of this pick? Let's hear what you have to say about it. I think you mean Frankie Mazzucato. Ah, Frankie. Uh, He's a good boy. All right. What do you think of this pick? I think that you've got to throw out all the high school numbers from this kid. They mean nothing. So if you're a person who's trying to find out a lot about Frank Mazzucato and they're saying, oh, four consecutive no hitters and he did all this and struck out a million guys in high school, that does not matter at all. None of it does. And, and, And even if he played in a Florida or a Texas or a California, it would only matter slightly more. Um, High school baseball is nothing compared to even college. So I would say he's intriguing in some sense that he's left-handed and he's projectable and you can pay him a little bit of money. Like uh, the the, the whole point of this, in case you don't know, is you take Frank Mazzucato so you don't have to pay him as much money so that you can spend more of that later. It's called underslotting. We've talked about it before. That was the reason they did this. So it'll be interesting. So really, I can't say a whole lot about the pick of Frank Mazzucato until I see what they take two, three, four, five. Yeah. So to be clear, Frank Mazzucato was taken to save money. They're going to offer him less money than the seventh pick is worth. And then they're going to spend that money on probably the next pick they take, which would be pick 43. They have in their mind somebody. So if, if you didn't watch the draft, here's kind of how it shook out. The very first pick, was an unexpected pick slightly. And then things kind of shook out in a way that there were still a couple of guys available who a lot of people thought were top five talents for the Royals at seven. There was Kumar Rocker. There was Khalil Watson. There was Brady House. Those three guys were available who a lot of people liked for the Royals at seven. I personally loved Khalil Watson. I wanted that to happen. And that's sort of what makes me a little disappointed in the Frank Mazzucato pick. I don't have a problem with the Royals underslotting. I think it's a smart strategy for a team like them, uh, sort of in the context of what their system is like right now. And that is, I think they need quite a bit of help with minor league bats. And this draft specifically isn't particularly strong at the top. And when a draft isn't strong at the top, it makes sense to underslot some guys and then go for talent later, right? So what they're doing now is underslotting Frank Mazzucato, hoping some other prep players fall right to them at 43 because their their numbers too high or their signability questions they want too much money and then the royals can give them that much money because frank mazzucato signed for less and so that's what they're hoping to do mike's right we won't know about the success of the mazzucato pick until we see who they take at 43 but i will say this there's going to be some anger about this pick i mean actually if you get on twitter there's already a ton of anger about this pick but mazzucato is a projectable lefty He's a fast riser. It is an interesting move to gamble on a guy who you think has a lot left in him, right? So he's upped his velocity this spring. That's a good sign. He's got the high spin on this curveball. That's a good sign. He's left-handed. That's a good sign. So he's got an athletic body. Another good sign. Scouts look at him and they say, there is a lot left in this kid. Have the Royals made that mistake before? Absolutely. Their track record with prep, pitchers in the first round is atrocious they haven't had success at it since danny duffy probably no zach well yeah i guess yeah danny duffy Granky's before before he was before him yeah duffy is like 33 years old now (laughs) (laughs) um, and so it's been a while and then you can just name all the prep pitchers they took in the first round who haven't panned out at this point i mean 
Nolan Watson, Ash Russell, uh, Foster Griffin. Who's oh oh you know who Frank Mazzucato? Scott Blue. He's he the, the guy. He the he's round, another but... one of those. Uh, wasn't he? I don't think he was in the first round. He was early in the draft. He was early. I'm looking this up because I think he was. But people are going to compare Mazzucato to Blewett a little bit because Blewett is another cold weather guy, late riser type. By the way, he's from New York, Mm -hmm. through hard. He's a righty, not a lefty. Um, So there's not an exact comparison there. But Blewett's a guy who is never going to be a significant major league player. I think he might have. Has he already pitched once in the major leagues? Did he get? He like did. A, yeah, he got he some did. spots yes, he did. in the major leagues. Didn't go well. He did. Yes. Um, You're right. Second round pick, not a first. Um, so the Royals just have a really bad track record with prep pitchers in the first round, and so we have to ask, like, I think you could just say prep pitchers. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think they tend to do better. Yeah, probably because you don't get a ton of prep pitchers. Although they took Ben Hernandez last year, and I have a lot of hope for him. Me but too. We'll see on that one. Yeah. I, I do want to try and see this in a positive light as much as possible because with a prep pitcher, there's just so much unknown, right? So, and while we can say, oh, then why'd they take them? If there's so much unknown, why'd they take them? Especially now when there's so little data available with the pandemic and all that. But the so little data, the so, the so much being unknown also could mean that there's a lot of room for this person to grow. Yeah, agreed. And that's kind of my positive spin on this is, he looks really like a projectable guy with his velocity. Um, he does have what a lot of people are calling a really good curveball. I look at it and I go, I don't exactly see that right now, but if it's that good in high school, you hope it kind of play continues to improve. The, the, the horror story here is Foster Griffin. We took him out of high school and there was next to no projection left in him. He didn't really improve all that much. He got a little bit, he threw a little bit harder after that. He was a really soft thrower out of high school. He threw like 88 tops and they thought, oh, we'll get, he'll maximize his velocity. And it never really came. He had maxed out in the low nineties and just never had the stuff to be a really good pitcher. I, I like the fact that this kid does look a little bit more projectable, that it looks like he's going to have the velocity to be a serious contender from the left side. But I, I'm always scared of guys that played high school ball in low competition type areas. You know, that was one of the big things for Bubba Starling. One of the big things for Scott Blewett, uh, for Mazzucato as well. It's going to be a big thing there. He's about to get a shock when the level of competition goes way up on him. And I hope he can handle it. I hope hope he can handle it. Um, but it's going to go see. way, way up when he hits professional baseball and they're going to go real slow with him. They know that this is the case. They're not going to rush him into anything. They're going to go real slow with him. He's actually a young 18. He just turned 18. And so he's yeah. a real young guy. Typically you like that. You want to be on younger on the aging curve, but there is logic behind this pick. I'm not going to say it's, a, it's, it's like not smart or dumb. I'm a little upset because Khalil Watson was still on the board and he was like my number one prospect available for the Royals anyway. Um, but we'll see on this one. I want to sort of give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, let's let's reserve judgment a little bit until this next pick comes in. Because if the Royals use that money really wisely, go out and get some really high upside guys later in the draft, we might say, okay, uh, this ends up being a pretty good draft for the Royals, even though that talent was spread out and isn't just all concentrated in that first pick. Yeah, the, the thing that scares me, if you're going to underslot, I would prefer underslotting with that guy who is maybe a last year in college kind of guy, an older college guy, because you do know a little bit more about him. 
like they did with Hunter Dozier. Um, I would have probably rather seen something like that. Uh, for like those Mike of you that Wachowski? don't know. Yeah, Wasn't something it? like that. Uh, but the guys you tend to see this with are last year in college guys or high school guys that are projected to go later in the draft. That's usually who gets under slotted. And so I, I prefer the other one if I can get yeah. it. Cause I know more about those guys. Last year in college guys though, are virtually never taken under slot in the first round though. Yeah. So, I mean, I get why they, did. although Markowski, I mean, <laughs> it's weird because on a lot of boards, the Mark, I can't even pronounce his name, right? It's, it's Mulkowski, I think uh, he's a pitcher. He's uh, I think from Fordham, uh, a senior, he's out of eligibility. He, I'm, I guarantee is higher on quite a few boards than Frank oh, yeah. Mazzucato is. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so we'll see yeah, on that one. Uh, and that's the thing. They underslotted a guy, but they way underslotted. Like they took a guy. Most people probably don't expect to be taken in the first round. Whereas Baltimore also underslotted at five, but they took Colton Cowser, who a lot of people thought is a, is a mid first rounder at worst. You know, he's, he's a guy who was going to go in the first round no matter what. And Baltimore decided to underslot him a little bit. They're not going to way underpay him. They have the Royals in order to make this pick work, have to get Mazzucato super cheap, like really, really cheap. And I don't know if he's going to be willing to take that. Uh, They must know what his number is and know what he's willing to take, or this was a really stupid move. Um, But if they do and it all works out and they end up with a bunch of talent later, you know, this could be a solid draft. The Royals will have most of this week off for the all-star break. Thank God, but they will host the Orioles for a three game series this weekend. Of course, there aren't any probables for this series yet. Who knows if the Royals were like reset their rotation or if Baltimore will reset their rotation or if John means will be back or whatever. So it's just impossible to know who the probables will be. But we do know that a little bit about Baltimore as a team. They've played plenty of games. They're really bad, even worse than the Royals, if you can believe that. And so that's what we know. Mike, tell us a little about the Orioles, a team we're fighting for a top five pick for next year. Well, the Royal, the Orioles have been bad for a couple of years now. They are consistently picking. In fact, they picked right in front of the Royals today. Uh, uh, two spots in front of the Royals. Two spots. Yeah, they picked five. We picked seven. Baltimore's 28 and 60. They are last in the AL East. They're very bad across the board. They're equal opportunity bad in all, all parts of the game here. <laughs> They're 26th in run scored. They're dead last in team ERA. They're 28th in defensive runs saved. Uh, they have two position players that are really worth noting in Cedric Mullins, who's a young guy, high, high over nine uh, OPS this year. It's his kind of breakout. Welcome to the uh, big leagues thing. And then Trey Mancini, who has a wonderful story in that he's a cancer survivor. Um, that's basically it. Now, one one other story out of this team, John Means, who threw a no hitter earlier this year, uh, is from the greater Kansas City area. He's from Olathe, Kansas and uh, he is coming off of injury. So we may end up seeing him at some point because he just started uh, his rehab starts. So if they're comfortable with him coming into that first series, which I doubt they will be because he's probably the most reliable guy they have in that rotation. Oh, he is definitely um, the most reliable guy they have in that rotation. Not just like with the best stuff, but also usually the guy that goes out there all the time, then I, you know, I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to send him in the first one after the all-star break. So uh, I wouldn't expect to see means in that series. So we don't have a lot of very easy winnable series uh, in July and August coming out. So you want him to do well in this one. Yeah. When you said we don't have a lot of very easy winnable series, the first thing I thought was for the Royals, this isn't one either, right? Like, and so <laughs> even there are we, would no easy. Be, we would want it to be, but it's not just because 
the Royals aren't very good. And so, you know, hopefully they can grab a series win against Baltimore because things about to get real tough after that. So we'll see how the Baltimore series turns out. We get a few days off, no baseball. I'll still be sad. I know I'll still, I'll still be like, well, man, I wish baseball was on, but you know, maybe uh, we'll kind of go for a walk or something. We'll end this week the same way we end every week by talking about something outside baseball. Mike, what has interested you outside the world of baseball this week? Time off. And I, that is so appropriate since the Royals are about to get about five days off, but I'm coming off of a week. Uh, I coach football. So summers are very uh, busy for me. We do workouts and things like that. And so I don't actually for a teacher get a full summer off, but there is something that we call a dead week where our state athletic association mandates that you can have no contact and do no football activities and things like that. So I'm coming off of our dead week. Um, I enjoy that dead week. Usually it is relaxing. It is wonderful. I woke up at nine, 10 o'clock most days. I intended on getting some stuff done. I didn't get any of it done. But it was so beautiful. I can be. Time I know it's great. Is on, is on my side. side, but it's ending, so that's sad. But Ooh. time off is so uh, important. Take your time off. By the way, the days that they give you off, remember, are part of your pay. So don't feel like you have to save them things up. Don't feel like you have to go and get paid for them at the end when they pay you half of what you're worth. No. Take your time off. Mental health take days are okay too. Off. I take those all the time. They're important. Take your time off. Take your time. My, my girlfriend is like an artist with her time off. Like she, her company used to not do this unlimited time off stuff. And there, you actually had a number of PTO days and she would just artistically craft them into like three day weekends, five day weekends. It was a masterful thing to see her choose to use her time off, but she used every damn bit of it. I used and to so, have, Oh, we used to have this time in October when I coached, uh, when I coached middle school football, our season would end the very next week, we would have a Friday off and you could take the Mondays off. So I would take Monday and Tuesday off. And Morgan and I, a lot of times would travel. So it'd be like Thursday. I would have uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday off five days in a row. And it was brilliance. Yeah. I'm here to talk about exceptional moments and it has dawned on me as we sort of lived through the last five years, I guess, um, that it's really difficult to recognize exceptional moments when you live in them. And then last yesterday, two things happened that made me think of this again. One, a former colleague of mine at the University of Virginia is the target of sort of political harassment. He is a political scientist at UVA and a very, very famous academic and he shares opinions about politics as a political scientist might. And as a result, a particular political party is uh, attempting to investigate him for sharing these opinions on Twitter. And one of the defenses he had is, you know, six years ago, I didn't do much of this on Twitter or I didn't do much of this on, you know, social media or, or put out sort of my own personal beliefs politically. He's like, but I felt I need to now because we are living in exceptional times. And then last night I watched a documentary on the Russian revolution and it got me wondering, like, can we recognize exceptional moments when we're inside them? It seems like it would be important for us to be able to, but I think we really struggle to, you know, to see that this moment is different from the other moments and to understand the ways in which it might be exceptional. 
And the, there's sort of, of course, a downside to that. If you think that every moment is an exceptional moment, you can rationalize damn near any behavior. But it is interesting to me that I believe personally that we live in exceptional times right now. And I could point to the reasons why and talk about like how important it is to make certain decisions and, and things like that. But it's just always interesting to me to think, are we aware that we live in exceptional times if, if we do? And how, how do we become aware of them when we're in them? Yeah. And especially with the advent of social media, when you see so many things going on, it's hard to delineate, okay, what yeah. is, what is uh, exceptional and what's just time passing, you know, uh, especially if those things happen gradually, you know, sometimes you don't enter them all at once. It's not like, like for example, on September 11th, you knew that was an exceptional day. You knew that that was something that was going to change things forever. The day that the atomic bombs are dropped on, Hiroshima and then Nagasaki, you know, those events that are going to change the world that day, I would imagine, but something that creeps in or, you know, it doesn't always have to happen all at once. And so if it doesn't happen all at once, how do you know? Yeah, that's the real, that's a great, a great point and a really, really tough thing to see and recognize. That's why history is so important in my mind. Like it really gives you the context for what your moment looks like in comparison to other moments. And so even if it's happened slowly, you can at least stop and say, right now, here are the conditions of the world we live in. Have these existed before? What happened in the immediate aftermath of those existing before? Or what were those times like? Or how do we look at them now? Uh, and I think that is actually what's scaring my colleague back at the University of Virginia. He sees, he knows history, and he knows that what we're seeing sometimes now is just as scary as it would have been in times of history where we say, wow, that was a really scary time. But maybe we have a tough time recognizing it now that it's happening to us uh, here, you know? Uh, but anyway, just a little uh, weird, random, abstract thought to uh, round out a wonderful week of Royals baseball. <laughs> <laughs> One in five, baby. Thank God for five. the rain. You know, it reminds me of uh, Bull Durham. For the rain. We, we need a rain delay, and he goes out and gets him one. Uh, I, I like to mix like baseball, which is silly and not important with things that are like seemingly much more intense or serious. You know, you know, the uh, you know, the movie V for Vendetta. Oh yeah. Great movie. There's a, there's a scene where he's talking to a prisoner uh, beside him in a cell and she's like passing him notes, you know, and yeah. one of the lines in it, she says like, my mother used to say that God is in the rain. And that's what I thought about when you said, thank God for the rain. I'm like, you're talking about <laughs> these two things, like a person imprisoned and he was going to be killed. And then there's like Royals baseball and then you really needed a rain delay or a day off for rain. <laughs> rain uh, can mean a lot of things. Okay. Great um, metaphor. That's Country right. music knows it's a great metaphor. That's right. Um, Songs about rain. That's all we got for this week. It's going to be a weird one. That's okay. Watch Salvador Perez in the home run derby. Watch. I'm not going to watch the home run derby. I don't care about that, but I am going to watch the all-star game. We'll see how that goes. We'll see you next week. We've decided to call you all the Royals weekly weirdos. That's our oh, yeah. fan base now. You guys are now the weirdos. Woo! Which is perfect. If you listen Weirdo to us, up. probably something wrong with you, but you're getting into heaven. So that's good news. <laughs> Uh, we'll see you next week until then subscribe rate review keep watching royals baseball and go royals go royals <laughs>